All right, how we doing? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts chapter 5, we'll just continue the story. Right now we um, are in our year-long series of the book of Acts. We're just walking chapter, chapter, verse by verse uh, through the book of Acts. And so um, everything seems to be on the up and up for the church. Some things seem to be going good. Some amazing things are happening amongst the the people of God. And uh, like I said, it seems to be on the up and up. And uh, they have all things in common. Uh, they're taking everything that they have. If there's someone in need, they'll sell that. If there's land, whatever it may be, uh, somebody within the family has a need, uh, they'll do whatever they've got to do to meet that need. Um, the scripture even says that the covenant people of God are known for their gladness. Something good to be known for, something good to be uh, recognized for is gladness. And we saw that last week as we uh, looked at this story of the church and uh, they were characterized by their gladness. And so with all uh, the good that we looked at that the church has experienced over as it began, as God starts to work and do something amongst the people, um, as all good things, uh, the church experiences their first issue. And that's what we looked at last week. And the, the first issue happened to be with a husband and wife. And that husband and wife was Ananias and Sa- the wife Sapphira. Um, and they had witnessed this man named Joseph. And what Joseph did was saw that there was need in the church. And so he sells his land and he gives it to the apostles to distribute as they see fit. And so they, uh, they have witnessed this, they see this, and they see that everyone celebrates over this, and they get excited about that. And so what do they do? They say that they're going to do the same thing. And so they end up selling some of their property, and they give it to the apostles. But in the process of that, what they did was they made a promise to God that they would give it all, but then they hold it back for themselves. Now, now the issue isn't this. The land was theirs before it was sold, the, the money was theirs before, I mean, even after they sold it, the problem was somewhere along the line, they told God something that didn't go through with what they told God. So they decided to keep back some for themselves. And so like I said, the scripture tells us last week that they lied to God about the money. And so what happens is this, because of sin, there's always consequences. And so we saw last week that the consequence to this sin was death. So as a result of lying to God, God didn't take that lightly and God ends up taking their life. And so last week we looked deeply at what it meant to be a hypocrite, just followed that out throughout the scriptures, throughout the story, uh, and just really looked at that last week. If you missed last week's talk, you can check it out on our website um, as, or any talk from this series will be on our website. You can go there and check that out as they keep it up to date for us. But I'm gonna ask you this morning, if you'd join me as we pray and then we'll jump into where we're gonna be this morning. God, love you. Lord, we need you in this place. God, we need you every moment of every day. And so God, we pray. God, in these next moments, as we hear your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in this place. God, that you would challenge us. God, that you would change us. God, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would draw us. God, that you would just do a work in this place. God, one that's undeniably you. And so, God, we pray. God, we we ask that you have freedom here this morning to do as you see fit. God, to save the lost. God, to rescue the one that's uh, stuck in sin. God, and then to encourage the one that's following you in obedience. God, I pray that you would just move in a multitude of ways in this place this morning. God, challenge us, change us, draw us to yourself. God, may your words speak. In your name we pray, amen. And so what we see uh, there in 12 through um, 16 of the book of Acts, I mean, the church continues to, to just be busting at the seams. Uh, believers are added in multitudes is what the word says, both women and men. 
uh, even so much that, that people are carrying their sick and putting them in the streets just hoping that the apostles' shadows will touch them and that they'll be healed. So the, the, church, the church is man, man, blowing up in a good way. Some amazing things are happening in the church. And so a church that's obedient, a church that's humble, a church that's focused, a church that's unified, a church that's hungry for a move of God will usually provoke a reaction from the world, won't it? It'll usually gets the, gets the world's attentions and more times than not, that reaction from the world is usually one of persecution, usually one of coming against. And so we see Paul write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. It'll be on the screen for you. He says this, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You hear what he tells Timothy? He says, hey, you live godly. You seek Jesus. You walk with him. You do everything you can to follow him in every circumstance, in every situation, in every decision, in everything that you do. You desire to live godly in Christ. But hear me, there's going to be persecution because now you've raised the standard. Now you've elevated things back to where they should be. And so it should come as no surprise that a church God is using in this world will face opposition. You're going to face opposition. Hard times, difficult times are going to come against us. False claims are going to be made against you. Things are going to happen because people do not like it whenever there's a standard set that happens to be above where they're at already. And so sometimes this will even take place in the church. Sometimes we'll, we'll even uh, judge upon, amongst other believers or we'll set standards or we'll say things or we'll go against other believers. And, and what I've learned is simply this is, is that the bar, sometimes we lower the bar. When the bar is always Jesus, that's the bar we always look to, that's the bar we, we always try to strive for, not someone else in the church, not someone, not the pastor, no, I want to follow Jesus. Paul says that, imitate me, be like me only as I am like Christ, and that would be my claim this morning in this place. You follow me, you, you be like me only as I am like Christ in every circumstance and situation, and so, so often though we lower the bar and persecution comes even amongst ourselves within the church, and so we're going to see this morning this persecution take place within the church. Acts 5.17, this is our scriptures this morning. It says, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, uh, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. So I believe we need to do some work here, I believe we need to talk for a moment as we see this, this thought of jealousy start to creep in amongst these people, amongst these, these uh, leading people of the time here. And so what happens in Proverbs 27, four, it says this, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy is a nasty thing. Jealousy is an oppressive and controlling thing. It is a catastrophic and crippling thing. It feels as if every ounce of self-control that we have in that moment when jealousy arises within us leaves us out of control. It leaves us undone. We're done away with in one emotional swoop of jealousy. It brings people to the end of themselves in no time they are no longer the same person. Just in a moment, jealousy can swoop in. And so what happens is often when we hear jealousy, we just dismiss it as insecurity. Oh, there's just some insecurity. Like that makes jealousy okay or even allows us to justify jealousy. And sometimes in response, we'll get cute, right? Because we're Bible Belt, we're church, we've been here. We'll say things like, well, well, isn't God a jealous God? God's a jealous God. And so if he's a jealous God, then it must be okay for me to be jealous as if we can justify our sin, as if God would allow that. And so we'll respond if God can be jealous, can't I? I'm supposed to be like him. But hear me, things, things don't work that way. It's just that there is such a difference between divine Jealousy and human jealousy. Let me try to explain for a moment. See, God's jealousy is always a product of his perfect, self-sufficient love. 
perfect self-sufficient love, not like our love. His love is perfect, he's self-sufficient, which gives the opportunity for him to feel deeply jealous about the people with which he has freely covenanted, who he's entered into covenant relationship with. See, created man in contrast, us in contrast, our jealousy is a product of our finite love. See, his love is infinite. Ours is finite, ours is limited. See, jealousy for us contains vulnerability, the possibility of deep pain, the possibility of betrayal. We don't like that. We don't like to be cut. We don't like to be hurt. See, jealousy for man is unique because it contains insecurity. Now we're getting to the root of the problem. That's what jealousy wells up in us. That's what jealousy reveals. And see, you know something? God is not insecure. Oh, by far, not insecure. See, we don't add to God. We don't take away from God. God is fine the way he is. He doesn't need us doesn't have to have, God is God, and he was secure in all things, but not us. Oh, not us, not at all. We are not secure intimate relationships because the only security we can find is in a relationship with Christ. That's where we get our security, that's where we get our certainty, that's the only security and certainty that we can find. That is the only relationship that will be all that it has ever been promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will, uh, he will do every single thing that he has promised in his word, every single thing that he has let us know about in his word. He will always be and do what he has said, what he has promised. And so we've gotta be careful, make sure we understand and know what he has said because so often we'll hold him to things that he has never promised or things that he has never said, things that he has never told us. But God is always perfect God is always certain, God is always secure, not us, we so desperately need him. What I've learned in my life, more times than not, I'll fail in a relationship. I'll fail in a relationship, I'll make a mess of it. I've got hangups, I've got struggles, I can't come through, I'm limited. Remember, finite, infinite, God is infinite, I'm finite, I'm limited, God is unlimited, but not God, he will do everything that he has promised. So with jealousy, what happens is our deepest desires of our heart are put on display. The deepest desires and longing of our heart is put on display. Whenever that is threatened, oh, we will get jealous and we will react in a crazy way sometimes. That's what jealousy will do. See, the fire of jealousy brings to the front of our life that which we treasure the most. That's that which we long for, that which we want the most. That's what jealousy stirs up within us. And then look here in verse 17 as we're gonna continue to read and see what takes place. That's what we see here in 17, I'm sorry. And so things that are often revealed as a treasure for us is self, comfort, me. And with those things, when they are threatened, and jealousy will rear its head, won't it? It'll rear its head and it'll allow us to act in a way that is outside of us how we normally wouldn't react. But look at how the high priest and the Sadducees respond here in their jealousy, especially over the things that, that's revealed in them that they love the most. And look at verse 18, it says this. It says, they arrested the apostles and put them in public pr prison. So what happens here is their jealousy pushed them to act in an irrational way. It pushed them to, to do something that they normally maybe wouldn't do. They say, just arrest them, do away with them, we'll get rid of this threat. There'll be no more problem to us. We'll just throw them, get rid of them for a while. Because what this does is reveal the heart of the matter. It reveals the deeper issue at hand. See, they didn't want a new religious sect to rise. That's, that's not what they wanted. They didn't want the church to bust onto the scene and continue to grow. See, at this time, pushing over 8,000 just men is what we know in Scripture. And what we read in 12 through 16 is that they continued to add multitudes. I don't know what multitudes are, but multitudes sounds like a lot of people. 
men and women this time it tells us in 12 through 16 there in chapter five. So the church is busting at the seams. God is blessing and adding to the church day in and day out because they're just living it. They're loving one another. They're caring for one another. They're being the hands and feet of Christ in their world. And as a result of that, people are drawn to that love, drawn to that grace, drawn to that mercy, and they want to be a part of that movement. Who wouldn't? I mean, if you're characterized as glad, who wouldn't want to be a part of glad? I I want to sign up for glad. Yeah, let me be a part of that group. A group that's glad taking care of one another, loving one another, caring for one another, doing whatever they have to do to meet needs in each other's lives. It's amazing. The church will be characterized as that. But what happens here is the church, in the eyes of the high priests and the Sadducees, the church is threatening. The church threatens the control and power of the Sadducees, the control and power so they thought they had. Which you know what I love? That's, isn't that the complete opposite of what the church wants? We don't want power and control. We've already got one that is in power and in control. We don't want power and control. We just, we just want to be his hands and feet in this world. We just want to share the gospel with this world. We just want to love on the unlovely. We want to take care of those that are in need. That's what we want. But you know what happens? That, that kind of life will infiltrate every other area of life, will it not? When you start to be gracious and loving and caring, will that not, will that not go after the hardest of hearts? And it'll start to infiltrate. It'll start to bring about a change in places that people don't want to see change especially when they have strongholds. And so they were threatened. And so you see here as it rises within the hearts of these religious people, these leaders of the time, when they're threatened, they take action. And so I think it just lends us to need, a need to talk about something for a moment, this thought of power and control, which is not real. They thought they had power. They thought they had control. Maybe here this morning you think you have power. You think you have control. But hear me, God is sovereign and in control of all things at all times. We have no control. We have no power. There's no such thing as safety and control, but only God's uh, a sovereign rule and reign. Things happen because God, because God allows and things happen because doesn't happen because God doesn't allow. That's how it works. God is in control of every circumstance, every situation. So God allows and God doesn't allow. And I'm gonna just land at that place where I'm just gonna believe and trust that God knows what's best in every situation and every circumstance. I mean, we've seen it over and over in his word. We've seen it over and over. I've experienced it over and over and over that his working is for his glory and for our good. And I just, just hear me this morning because I know that's difficult to sit with. That's difficult to hear sometimes. I'm just, I'm just, I don't get it or I don't understand it fully, but I'm just gonna trust that what God says is good and right. And I'm just gonna walk in that sometimes even when it doesn't make sense this side of eternity. I'm just gonna trust that God knows best. I'm just gonna trust that God is bigger and greater than anything I face, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, I'm just gonna trust that. There's no control. They thought they had control, but they're only in the position, only in the place because God has allowed them to be at this time. So back to our story. See, what would seem to frustrate the progress of the church only sets the stage for God to flex his muscle. It only sets the stage for God to show of his great power and his majesty. Look at, look at verse 19. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, you go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. 
Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. See, so God's power here and plan will leave the greatest of people perplexed and wondering. That's what he did. That's what he does in this moment. I just love this. Uh, they thought they've got them securely locked away for a little bit. We'll, we'll get everybody together. We'll figure out what to do with them. And, and then we'll pull them back out and we'll, we'll, we'll come up with this plan and we'll do something with them. But these people, they want nothing more than to shut the church up. They want nothing more than for them to stop doing what they're doing, be done away with. And so they think that they've accomplished something. They think that they've got something on them only to see God flex his muscle. They're left scratching their head and a little worried at trying to figure out where did the apostles go? How did this happen? What took place? And so what I know is this, the greatest laid plans or the best schemes, schemed ways to derail God are only a platform for him to show of his power and might. Every plan that the world tries to lay, every way that the world tries to derail the church or frustrate God or frustrate his people is only a way for God to show up in an even greater way. Only a way for God to show out in an even more powerful way, a more way that's, that's even more confusing to the natural mind. And then look at what happens in verse 25. Someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Well, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questions them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. They didn't even address the fact that they busted out. Like, I, like, I just love that. Like, they didn't, they didn't even go that route. We, we told you to be quiet. What about uh, breaking out of prison? Let, let, what about that? They don't even address that. They don't even talk. They just go right to it. And then look at the go-to answer here. And I, I love this. Hear me, church. This had better be our go-to answer as well. Look at what Peter says in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. So, so hear me this morning. Same thing goes for us. Man tells us to do something in contradiction to God. Who do we listen to, man or God? God, always. At your job, uh, in, anywhere in your life, any circumstance, any situation, if man tells you something that contradicts what God says, then you always go, God. Our default is always God, and I love that. This is what, the second or third time that we've seen Peter step up and say this, that we've seen the apostles say this, you would think that this was enough, but, but Peter, he sees the opportunity, and he doesn't just stop there. Well, we're gonna go over God, over man, but he continues, and look at what Peter does. I mean, I just love the boldness of Peter, what the Holy Spirit's doing in his life. Verse 30 says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I mean, that's very offensive if you ask me. Verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. They're saying, hey, we've seen all this. We've experienced this. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter says, y'all brought this on yourself. It's your fault you're guilty of killing Jesus, but even in that, God uses it to raise Jesus and made a way for man's sin to be forgiven. So even in that, he just preaches the gospel. The gospel drum, uh, bomb has been dropped again. 
He says it's you. And, and I just want to press here for a moment because what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is the gospel. And what the gospel does is shows up and tells us the truth about ourselves. And that's exactly what's happened here. Peter's told these people the truth about themselves. And I just want to make sure we understand that this morning it's the same truth for us. We're guilty. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. Us, we are guilty. And so that's great news, the fact that he dies for us, the fact that, that, that he goes to the cross for us. And then look at their response. And I want to tackle this for a minute here in a second. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So they get mad at the truth they just heard. I mean, that's very offensive talk. Hey, first of all, it was you that killed Jesus. Like, it's you, you did it. It's you. Church, same thing for us. We did it, our sin, our rebellion. And so there's usually two responses when you tell somebody the truth about themselves. And we see that response here, but I want to look at the other response. The first response and the response that should be is that of desperate gratitude, desperation. Well, whenever the truth is told about ourselves, whenever we finally see in the mirror the reality of the situation or circumstance or the condition upon which we are in, when we see that reality, that should make us desperately hungry for him. When we see that, hey, we're the ones that killed him, that our sin, when he tells us the truth about us, that we're wicked, sinful and undone, and there is absolutely no hope apart from him, what that should do is make us more desperate for him because what he has done in telling us the truth, he's also offered pardon for us. He's also offered a way out for us. He's also offered forgiveness to us. So the greatest response when the truth is told about us should be that of being made right, that of desperate surrender, that of, that of great need for Christ, of faith in him. Yes, I'll take the free gift of pardon. Yes, I'll take that. But what we see here is quite the opposite. They get enraged. They're not just mad, they're enraged. And so what happens is the other response to that when the truth is told, when the gospel reveals hearts, you see the second response here. They continue to fight it and try to go their own way. They get mad, why? Because power is gonna be stripped. What they think of security is gonna be stripped. They continue in their sin and go their own way. They don't want the free often of pardon. They don't want that. They, they want to continue to, to, to be in their sin and live the way that they want. Because you know what I've learned? If you acknowledge your sin, then you have to do something with it. They didn't want to acknowledge the sin. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to hear about it. They wanted to be in They wanted the, the status quo to stay the same way that it was. Verse 34 says, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamil He's a, a teacher of the law and he's held in high honor by all people. He stood, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So what you have is this respected rabbi, this teacher of the law, and he has this plan. Uh, that what we know about this one is this is, this is actually the man that, that Saul, which we know as the apostle Paul, studied under this rabbi. And this is what he says to them in verse 35. He says this, he says, men of Israel, take care of what, what you are about to do with these men. He's like, be careful. Well, let's just hold on a second. Take care, hold, hold, hold on just a second. He says, for before these days, you know, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him and he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to be nothing. And then after him, you know of Judas, the Galilean, he rose up in the days and, uh, of the census and drew away some of the people after him and he too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So what, what Gamil does here is he just reminds the Sadducees of a few instances where there seemed to be this uh, revolt or this uprising. He reminded them of what history has taught them. He reminded them of, of how those instances ended. 
what took place in those situations. And then he, he, he gives what appears to be some practical advice. It appears to be good, but I believe if we followed out a little deeper, I believe that it's, it's pretty bad, horrific advice, and, and we'll get into that here in a second. <laughs> so he says this in verse 38. So in the present case, he's saying, in this case, I tell you, let's keep away from these men. Let's let them alone. He kind of gives a, hey, let's wait and see policy, right? He's, he's using some um, reasoning. He's using some, hey, let's, let's just see what history has taught us. Let's just follow that out for a minute. Let's, let's wait and see. Let's give it some time. He says, for if this plan, for if this plan or this undertaking is a man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. He says, in fact, you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. It seems like logical good advice, does it not? It seems like pretty, okay, all right. Now understand who we've got here. Gamil, a teacher of the law, a teacher of the word. That's who we have. And so I guess my, my rebuttal to that advice would be, and again, I'm on, I'm on the side of the way. I belong to the church is where I'm gonna land. And that's, that's where I would be. And my argument would be, what else needs to happen? Like, are you, it's kind of like, are you kidding me? I mean, let's think about this for a moment. These men, this, this gathering is not just some 400, not just a few thousand. I mean, we had 3,000 at Pentecost. We had 5,000 not too long ago. Now there's multitudes of men and women coming to faith and becoming a part of the church. I mean, what, what else needs to happen? They say they belong to the way, which the way is Jesus. And so let's rewind that a little bit and let's think about that, that empty tomb for a moment. I mean, come on, man. I mean, there's an empty, we're looking for a body. He's gone. This Jesus whom we killed, who we crucified, he's no longer there. He, it, it, it's, he's missing persons. I mean, there's posters everywhere. We gotta find this guy. They can't find him. Oh, but he shows up for a while, some 40 days, and he makes himself available to over 500 <coughs> to the disciples. So there's been sightings. They just can't capture him. They just can't take him back in. Why? Because he's not here anymore. It says early on in the book of Acts that he ascends back into the clouds. They see that. I mean, so let's think about that for a moment. And then not long after that, they go and they're kind of stowed away, these apostles, and all of a sudden tongues of fire falls upon them. The Holy Spirit uh, invades them and they become baptized in the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? The story tells us that they start speaking in different tongues, different languages here is what it says. I mean, think about that for a moment. That's what we call Pentecost. And in Pentecost, over 3,000 men come to know Christ. They heard the gospel in their own language. These men that had been with Jesus, that didn't know all of these different languages and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, gives them power to be able to proclaim and tell the truth in the language of their ears so that they can hear it and can respond. So there's another instance that we know of. What about, what about this movement of the church selling their stuff? taking care of others in, in the fold. I mean, who does, that's completely opposite of what we see in the Pharisees and Sadducees. No, no, they're gonna take for what they can and take care of themselves to, to, to heck with everybody else. No, no, we, we care about us, perseverance of, or perseverance of me. I wanna take care of myself. That's what I wanna do. But you see the church at this time selling their property, taking care of one another, loving one another, what else needs to happen? Oh, by the way, you have over 8,000 come to faith just in those two, Pentecost and just the 5,000 men, it tells us. That's just 8,000 men. And it tells us that they have all things in common. And not just that, that they're glad. When was the last time you saw 8,000 people 
together in one place, having all things in common and glad. And when can we get five people to be glad or agree on something, let alone 8,000 at the time? And there's, the church is more than that at this time. Uh, what about the guy that was laid at the gate for some 40 years? Yeah, yeah the guy with the bum leg that they just happened to heal, that, that he has this interaction with, with Peter, I believe it's over in Acts 3. Peter's walking into, and the guy's at the gate, and he, he, he bugs him for some alms, some money. He's like, hey, can you just help a brother out for a second? And, and Peter has this weird interaction and gets down and says, hey, look at me. And so the guy looks at him. He says, I don't have what you, need, what you want, but I got something that you need. And so he, and anyways, what he does is Peter says, hey, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man gets up and he's healed. I mean, what else, does, what else do they need? What else do they need to recognize? And then what about what just happened? The apostles were in prison. There were guards at the gate. I mean, these aren't stealthy guys. I mean, they're, they were cowardly men, and now they're not cowardly. They're, they're speaking and telling the truth because they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and God is working in their life, and they were just in prison. Now they're not just in prison. I mean, how do you, how do you uh, just talk that away? What do you do? And this man will say, let's just give us some time. Have we not had enough time? How do you explain that stuff? What do you do with that? I mean, come on, Camille. I mean, my goodness, you had an opportunity, brother. So that's my question for you this morning. Church, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting for this morning? What are you waiting on in this place in order to be saved or to start living an obedient life for Christ? What other proof do you need? I mean, I mean, you've seen dead come to life. You've seen compassion, you've seen love. You've seen responses that go against the way of this world. What else do you need this morning? Man, I would encourage you to look at the proof. Look at what God's word says. Look at the lives and the testimonies of, of the people. Oh man, a life obedient, a life lived for Christ is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. All the riches of this world, the, the junk and the trinkets that it offers pales in comparison to that of Christ. Oh, that we would see that the eternity of our soul would be the greatest need in our life, the security in Christ. So what appears to be good advice, this is the good advice I believe that he gives in that, which he kind of misses, but he says this, if it's of God, then nothing can stop it or slow it down. That's good, that's, that's good stuff right there, that's true. Yeah, if God's in a move, there's nothing weak. The church can't, can't derail it. The world can't, nobody can slow it down. If God's moving and gonna do something, God's gonna do something. And we, 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 can't, even, we can't even stop it or slow it down or, or frustrate it. But man, what I really feel like is Gamil punted on this great opportunity. He's got these influential men, these leaders at this time gathered there and he punts on the opportunity. I mean, especially being one of a rabbi of the law, Right? I mean, am I crazy here? So what I'd press us this morning, churches, is don't waste opportunities. Don't waste opportunities. You may never have the opportunity to sit in a room full of the most influential men of this world, but you have got opportunity every moment of every day to share your faith with somebody, to make the right decision, to live out obedience in your life. You have got great opportunities every day. And so I say that realizing that probably this week that you've blown it, Probably in the last month, months, you've had opportunities only to let them slide right by. And so what are you doing that? When God reveals that to your heart, you repent and then you be ready the next time. You repent and you ask him to fill you with, with the Holy Spirit. See, we need to be in a place where God can fill us with his Holy Spirit, where he can give us that boldness, where he can make us aware of those opportunities to share. 
He's the one that gives us the boldness that we need. He'll fill us. So we just need to be emptied of ourself, of our sin, of our comfort, and looking for opportunities. I'll give you an example of me the other day. I was, uh, before the frost hit, it's been a few weeks ago, I was out cutting my grass and in the backyard, I've got my neighbor and I don't get to see him a lot, but I was out there and I was cutting and he happened to be there and I was one track minded in this moment. I'm just cutting. When I cut, I want to cut and go like I've got uh, earbuds in and I'm listening to podcasts and I'm just going and we're doing a little worship stuff back there and and we're just cutting and going and and there's my neighbor and he's spraying and and so I stop for a second and say hey to him and I'm chatting with him for just, just a second because like I'm task oriented this time, you know? Like, like I'm not focused, I'm, my Jesus time here um, and my cutting grass there, that's what I'm focused on. And so he, in, the, in that moment, just kind of was, was a road bump for a second. So I, I stop and I cut it off and I start to talk to him. And as I start to talk to him, we start to chat for a second. And then he goes down that road. So, hey man, how's, how's church, pastor? And I'm like, ah, hey, good, it's, it's going good. And we just talk for a second. And then after that, I'm like, all right, I'll see you later, see you later. Start it up and crank it and I get going. And I'm about two more rows in and I look back and he's gone. Ah, oh, ah, oh, he set the stage, man. I didn't even bring it up. He, he, he did it to himself, and what did I do? A swing and a miss. Well, no, I didn't even swing. I just sat there and watched it go by. I didn't, I didn't, even, take, I didn't even take a cut at it. I was so focused on me, so focused on getting something finished, so focused on my time that I missed an opportunity. I don't know if he's saved. I don't know if he goes to church know a little bit about him, but not, not the most important stuff about him. So I just let it go by. It hit me. So what did I do? I didn't go down, I didn't go and beat down his door. All right, brother, you need to sit down. I need to give you three points in a poem real quick, and then we'll, we'll I, I didn't do that. I repented because I missed that opportunity. I believe that that was sin in my life because I was so focused on me and not the opportunity or in tune with the Lord. So I repented. Now I'm praying. I'm praying for that opportunity again. I'm praying, and so now I'm like strategically out, just like cutting my grass, like, hey, where's he at? Oh, spraying weeds. I'll get his too, maybe he'll come out. Yeah. I just believe that opportunity will happen again. God's gonna let us cross paths, and this time I'm gonna be ready. This time I'm gonna point to the one whom I'm in love with. I'm gonna get out of my own way. So I don't wanna be like, I don't wanna pun on an opportunity. I don't wanna miss. And I believe that's one of the things that happens here. In verse 40, the story continues as we start to kind of wind down. And when they had called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they bring him in. They say, hey, no more talking about Jesus. And then they beat him. And so these men, because of their faith, were flogged. And so it suggests everything that I looked at and read, it suggests that they took 39 lashes each. That's what they took. Why? Because of sharing their faith, because of telling about Jesus, because of of sharing the gospel. They get flogged for their faith. And look at their response. This was just mind-blowing to me. And I believe we need to grab a hold of this as a church. And let's look at what they say in verse 41. It says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I mean, you, you, it's, ah, I can't even say anything right now. I mean, is that not crazy? Because of their faith, Because of them telling the truth about Jesus, they are beat for their faith. They are flogged. 39 lashes is what was suggested. They're not embittered, disillusioned at their suffering. There's none of that. Well, I can't believe this. Jesus, God, will let this happen. I thought you had my back. He does have their back. He is for them. Look at all he's doing within the church through them. And look at their response. I can't believe I'm even counted worthy to suffer this dishonor for the name. I mean, is this not just crazy response? 
They don't complain, they don't get frustrated, they don't slow down. They couldn't believe that they would be counted worthy that these people have seen something in them that has frustrated or rubbed them so much as according to the gospel that they would be able to suffer just a small taste of what Jesus suffered. Man, what a response, church. Their love and their relationship for Christ meant that much. The fact that they got, they got persecuted, they counted it a joy. Oh, not us, uh-uh. No way. Somebody says something about me post something, I don't get invited, I get left out, oh, I'm, I'm done, uh-uh. No, I'm gonna take my ball and go home. I'm gonna pout for three weeks and post about it as much as I can and let everybody know I'm upset or frustrated, I'm gonna quit, I'm gonna throw in the towel for a little bit, take time off. I mean, we don't even have a system to process this. Uh, but whereby do we run this on the tracks to even figure out how to do or be in this? And, th- and by the way, this isn't even persecution like we face. I mean, I almost feel silly talking about persecution in America today. Or you'll get made fun of, you'll get left out, they'll say a few things, you might get fired. I mean, who knows? I mean, that's like the worst stuff. You're not going to prison. You're not getting flogged for it. I mean, we're in America, right? Land of the free, home of the brave. We get called a name, made fun of, left out. I mean, we just check out for a little while, don't we? I mean, these men were physically beat for their faith physically attacked because they were telling people about Jesus. God, help us. God, help us get a hold of that. I mean, the day that we would wear that as a badge of honor, not in a prideful, arrogant way, but in a way to think that this world would see something in us that would lend me to be worthy, to be persecuted for the name of Christ. Hallelujah. That's what they say. That's what they, they grab a hold of. A physically attacked because they were telling people about Jesus. Man, it charged them so, up so much that this honor being, being persecuted, look at their response in verse 42. And every day, as a result of being beat, they tell them to shut up and quit. Stop, you, you, don't you dare. And we're gonna see persecution come even more. It, it's about to get amped up. This is nothing compared to what's about to happen to the church. And look at their response. Every day, they didn't take a week off. I don't need some time to heal. Oh, my back. No, 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 they're right back at it. Every day the scripture tells us in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They didn't stop. You can beat me, you can try to shut me up, you can throw me in prison, none of that matters. What that lets me know is what they say over in verse 29 means something, that we must obey God rather than men and, and they meant it. God had put a call on their life to the point of where they said, you know, I don't care what man tells us. I don't care what man brings at us. We understand that God's in control. We understand that God's doing something. We don't care if we get left out. We don't care if we get made fun of. We don't care if we get called names. They would would have loved to have that. No, they get beat physically. And they continue on with what God called them to do to spread the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And they didn't shut up, slow down, or let up. What's our excuse? Oh, church, if we would just get a hold of the the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, what's happened is the truth was told to them. The truth of the gospel was told to them that they're sinful, wicked, and in need of a savior, in need of rescuing. And when they were rescued, it changed their life. It changed everything about them to the point where they they were gonna go and they were gonna share. Whenever the Holy Spirit come upon them, they were gonna do whatever it was that God called them to do. So as we close this morning, I just wanna ask you a few questions. Just ask you a few questions just from the scriptures this morning. What makes you jealous? 
What, what reveals in your heart, in your life, that what you treasure the most? Is it a relationship? Is it stuff? What, what, what just stirs you in that way to, to act in a way that's illogical or outside of yourself? What makes you jealous? The second question I would ask you is this, man, what power struggles do you have? Man, you just need to release the reins. God is in control. God is sovereign. He is aware of it. He is there. The third question I would ask you is this, man, are you obeying God rather than man? Are you more worried about the opinion of man, what man may say, or are you more worried about the opinion of God and what he has commanded and told you to do? Wh- whose voice are you obeying? I guess the next question I would ask is this from these scriptures this morning. What are you waiting on? I don't, I don't believe for us this morning it needs to be a wait and see. No, I believe it needs to be a, an act, a pray and act upon. And, and some of it just needs to be act upon because we don't need to pray about it because God's already commanded us and told us to do it. So we just need to do it. And so my question is, what are you waiting on? One, to be saved. I mean, there is no greater morning than this morning than to come to faith in Christ. And, and you'll know, you'll know if God's stirring that in your heart or not. You'll know this isn't one of those trick ploy things. Let me try to get him down and make him cry a little bit and convince him that you know whether you're his or not. If there's that doubt, if there's that wonder, if there's that questioning in your heart this morning, chances are it's the Holy Spirit drawing and wooing you. What are you waiting on, man? The truth is there. The proof is there. Transformed lives. And hear me, we're not gonna live it perfectly, but we're gonna show grace and mercy and we're gonna live a life of repentance. And I believe that says just as much as us knocking it out of the park every single day. But what are you waiting on to be saved? Or what are you waiting on to start being obedient? What, what is so great about the world that you just can't let go of it? What, what is so great that it has promised you that you just can't, just need a little bit more time in it? You don't need more proof. The wait and see is here now. What opportunity has slipped you? What opportunity has slipped you? You know what I've learned that today is a new day and that the opportunities are fresh today? I just believe with everything in me that God's gonna put us in places if we would just step aside of ourselves and we would just be at a place where we can look and see who God wants us to talk to because what I, what I know pretty much across the board is once we say amen and someone's gonna leave and someone's gonna go to discipleship development and then after that there's gonna be lunch time because I just know my stomach tells me at about the 11, 11.30, 12 o'clock mark that it's time to eat and then we're gonna go eat somewhere and there's gonna be people there and then maybe some of you this Sunday is like your shop day so after you eat you go grab groceries for the week and there's gonna be people there or maybe after that you're just gonna go home and it looks like it's gonna be a nice day it's supposed to be high 60s I know a little weatherman Scott up here right high 60s a little breeze from the east away. No, it's gonna be a beautiful day and so what I know about that is we're probably gonna after your nap maybe if you're a napper you're gonna nap then you'll get outside and, and you maybe live in a community maybe live in an area maybe go for a walk or maybe call a neighbor to go for a walk and you're gonna have opportunity and then what I know about this is Monday's coming uh, Monday but what Monday does is present new opportunity because there's a job waiting for you. There's a situation waiting for you. There's a circumstance waiting for you. To do what, you ask? Oh, great question. To put God on display. To tell somebody about Jesus. To share of the glorious gospel. And, and you probably don't have to do it like Peter did here. I mean, these, these were what they thought religious people that had it all together when in all reality, they didn't know it at all. And so I would suggest maybe a little more tender way of introducing that. Start relationship with someone, start talking to them, start gradually sharing the gospel, getting to know them, loving on them. And how can you meet some physical need? But what I know is after Monday, Tuesday, and you know what, you know what Wednesday is, Halloween, right? 
That's where people want you to come to their house and get their candy. Man, what opportunity there, right? I mean, how awesome is that, that they want you to come dressed like crazy and get their candy. But you know what you can do in that moment? You can help your subdivision. Hey, man, how can I pray for you? And how can I, what, we've been neighbors for this long, and I don't even really, you could, all kinds of conversation can happen. And then you know what happens after Wednesday, Thursday. And Thursday has new opportunity. Because, I mean, we're over hump day, and we're headed toward the weekend, man, and we cannot wait to get there. And all kinds of stuff is happening and going on. Because after Thursday comes Friday and Saturday, and then we're back here again. And there's opportunity galore, church. And there are people out there that don't know Christ. We have opportunity. So what opportunity has slipped you, man? Pray, ask God to make you aware. Repent if you need to repent. And be available to be used by God. I don't know what God has stirred in your heart this morning by way of his word, but we see the church is going at it. These men are dedicated to their faith to the point if they're captured and beaten, they count it a joy, they count it an honor to be, to be treated that way for the glory and honor of Christ. May we get to that place where we don't care made fun of we don't care what persecution we face because we get to share Jesus with people and what we know about Jesus to be true is that he is the greatest thing the greatest one the greatest of all the supreme one so I don't know what God's stirred in your heart but you respond as he as he leads this morning Eric's going to lead us in a song I'm going to pray for us and you be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit God help us in this place God I do I pray you save the lost God I pray you draw those that are struggling set the captive free Oh, God, encourage the one that's been beat this week. God, encourage the one that's been abused and persecuted this week for your namesake. Jesus, do a work in this place, I pray. God, help us get a hold of what these boys had a hold of. And it's you. Jesus, help us get more of you. Help us have more of you. Help us fall more in love with you, God. Help us get to that place where we say we're going to follow God over man regardless of what it costs us. And whenever that persecution comes, we wear it as a badge of honor for you and your glory. And we point people to you as a result. God, help us in this place to respond to your leading. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would stand, Eric's going to leave. This altar is open if you want to pray, if you want some encouragement, whatever we can do, you respond as God leads.